1: Good afternoon, Bay Area. Uh, Welcome to the show as we enter uh, year five of the coronavirus lockdown. At least it feels that way. A few things are opening up around, and there's a few things you can go out and do maybe by yourself and with your family, but pickings are pretty slim right now here in the Bay Area, and I hope you're coping and you're handling this as well as can be expected, uh, given the up-and-down nature of what we're all going through right now. I'm going to be available today for you to call in with your questions or your comments if you have uh, things you'd like to talk about. I don't even particularly care if they are things that have to do with estate planning. If you'd like to call in and chat about something else, I'm open to that as well, as long as it's not uh, something that we're going to get into a big argument about. I'll let you know. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call in and ask me a question on the show today. Um, I um, want to let you all know out there that um, I, I've had a, a major surge in work, um, not directly planning related, but uh, other legal work that I do, which I've talked about in the past, uh, special types of court petitions that I do, and as such, for the time being, for the foreseeable future, I'm probably not going to be taking on many, if any, new estate planning clients until I can kind of get this uh, crush of work cleared out and uh, and reorient my practice so that I can handle this uh, increased workflow so the good news for me is I have a lot more work Uh, the bad news for me is I have a lot more work and uh, and it means that I have to I have to back off and kinda slow down on some other things so that I don't wear myself out I am getting older now Um, I actually um, just signed up for Medicare and I just signed up for my senior advantage at Kaiser through Medicare So yes, that means I'm about to turn 65 years of age, although uh, I don't feel 65. Of course, I really didn't have any idea of knowing just what you're supposed to feel like at 65. I do know that some days when I get up in the morning, I feel like I'm probably 85, and other other times when I get up in the morning, I feel like 35. So I guess that's pretty good overall. As long as I have more of the latter days than the former days, I'm kind of good to go. Continuing on with my my uh, usual format of the show, I'm going to present with you issues and questions from around the state of California and then give my uh, thoughts and insights on those in the hope that some of these situations may actually be um, involving people here in the Bay Area. You may have an issue like this or similar. And I am available to... At least maybe answer some questions for you, either on the air, or if you email me at radio at lawbob that's l a w b o b dot com you can ask a question that way as well, and I try to get back to everybody who contacts me as quickly as I can, preferably by email because I can do that pretty much at any time of the day or night and there are times that I'm working at any time of the day or night because it just um, is more possible for me to do between my work obligations and helping take care of my kids at home while my wife works ridiculous hours where um, I find that sometimes I do my best work very early in the morning or late at night. And that's not really the best time to talk with someone on the phone. So. If you have a question, email me at radiowhitlawbob.com and I'll try to answer it as soon as possible. But do be aware that uh, I have had a crush of work come in. This has been in the last week. So if you listened uh, last Friday, you know you, you listened to a replay of a show. Um, I actually did that because I literally needed uh, to, to take a break and take some time off because last week was very, um, very strenuous. This week has been very strenuous as well, but I decided I was going to get on the air and uh, answer some more questions from around the state. So let's jump right into that now. person out of San Diego asked the question, Does a living will, I think they mean living trust, drafted before a marriage supersede that marriage? This person says, I have a living trust in which I have my two children as the beneficiaries of my property should I die. I'll be getting married next year and want to know if my spouse will automatically be the one to inherit my property or will my living trust supersede my marriage. I'm trying to decide if we need a prenup or if I need to adjust my living trust after i marry to make sure my estate is properly divided. A lot of different questions in that question and let me kind of unpack them. Uh, one at a time. First of all, if you have a living trust that owns your property, and I assume the person's talking about real property or real estate right now, and you wanted it to go to your kids when you die, and then you're planning on getting married, I would suggest that if you want to make absolutely sure that that property, in fact, will pass to your children at your death, and your new spouse will not have any claim on it, then you absolutely do want to have a prenuptial, meaning a pre-marriage agreement with that spouse where they give up any right title interest now and for always in that property owned by your trust um, that would give you the freedom to use your own assets in the marriage to help out in the marriage use your own money for example to pay the the mortgage on a On a property or something something like that something a mortgage that's in the marriage where you acquire property together for example and and you can rest assured that unless you actively take the property out of your trust and put it in some kind of form of ownership with your spouse then you are actually keeping that property separate from your marriage which it sounds like that's the intent here to keep the property separate from the marriage I will say if that's not done, then there is the chance that if the marriage ends through divorce, the spouse may be able to claim some kind of a a spousal allowance or share um, because you may have an obligation to support that spouse and at death the spouse may actually claim some kind of spousal share for their own support from your separate property which is what this would be would actually be your separate property separate from the marriage and uh... and you should be able to give it to whomever you wish so i would recommend though doing a prenuptial or premarital agreement and if your fiance is balking at that or doesn't like the idea of that, you may want to kind of ask yourself, why is that? And it may very well be that the refusal to do a premarital agreement is a deal killer for getting married in the first place. So just word of advice, um, really consider that. And if there's resistance to doing that, um, make sure to keep your powder dry and maybe you don't, Want to get married to that person in the first place because they're so resistant to making sure that your property can go to your children when you die. So I uh, think I'm approaching the end of the first segment. Um, by my clock, I have roughly a minute to go, and or, or roughly um, half a minute to go. So when we come back after the break. Um, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, So until then, uh, after the break, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll get back with you after the break. Thank you.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back. Well, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California, but you can always call in if you'd like, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. So here's a question out here out of Northern California says my father lives in california and he's very ill he'd like to apply for medi-cal which is the medicaid program federal program administered through the states that's the california version is called medi-cal he was advised that if he uses the benefits that the state of california can come for his assets when he passes my question is how can my father get medi-cal without the state taking assets when he passes away well I do not specialize in Medi-Cal, but there are a few quick things I can share here on the uh, the air. First thing is if you have a residence here in California and you put the residence in any kind of trust, a living trust, a revocable living trust, uh, um, pretty much a revocable living trust, if you put it into a living trust, a residence is considered to be an exempt asset for determining eligibility um, for medical benefits if you put it into a trust then it cannot be available to recover against by the state for any benefits paid to you uh, that being said you could have other assets or incomes that make our income rather actually incomes plural there could be more than one source of income that could make you ineligible to receive Medi-Cal in the first place. If you have other assets, more than a couple thousand dollars in the bank, uh, prepaid burial plot, one automobile, uh, very short list of things that you can own besides a personal residence, then uh, you probably will not qualify for Medi-Cal anyway. If you had a rental property, for example, or a bunch of money in the bank or investments, you're not likely gonna qualify because you have too many assets even if all you have is a house, if you have a lot of income coming in from various places, if you have income coming in from a pension or or social security, um, if your income is too high, uh, then you will not qualify for Medi-Cal either. If it's low enough, then you can qualify for Medi-Cal, but you'll find that virtually all of your income has to go to a nursing home for your care and you get to keep $35 a month for personal care items. I guess that means like toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, soap, shampoo to shampoo your hair. Um, It's a very nominal amount that you get to keep from, for example, a social security check if you're on Medi-Cal and you're in a nursing home. Um, Medi-Cal planning can be done by people who have too many assets. Um, there are techniques that can be used that if they're used properly and they're available to be used, someone could qualify for Medical very, very quickly and uh, and not have their assets subject to being recovered against later on um, after death. Um, that would involve going and talking with a Medi-Cal specialist, an attorney who specializes in that type of planning. Um, the colleague I have here in San Jose, that uh, I've had on my show before uh, talking about conservatorship. I think that was last year sometime or maybe even the year before now that I think about it. Uh, His name is James Berge, B-E-R-G-E, and uh, he's here in San Jose. He would be a great resource to talk to if you're concerned about doing Medi-Cal planning for yourself or for a family member, um, whether it's a, a parent or an aunt or an uncle, or even uh, an older brother or sister that needs that kind of planning and they have assets. So he's someone you could contact about that. Now here's a question um, out of San Jose. Said, do you recommend making a retirement trust the beneficiary of my IRA? And what is a retirement trust? Person said, I've been told this would provide benefits to my children for their life And anything left over can go to my grandchildren, and they only have to take minimum distributions. Well, if they were told that recently, then they were not given complete information about what a retirement trust is and what the benefits are. If they heard this last year, then that would be a pretty accurate statement. I would make a retirement trust the beneficiary of an IRA. And because uh, then you could spread out the distributions, minimum distributions, over the lifetime of the ch- of the children, and everything else could go to the grandchildren. But because of a change in the law that took place this year, the Secure Act, which I talked about earlier in the year on the show, um, much of the benefits of a retirement trust have been um, cut down severely by a change in the law which now pretty much is gonna require that everything be distributed out over either five years or 10 years, depending on specific conditions that I'm not gonna cover um, on the show today. The um, uh, The reality is that uh, the Retirement Trust or the Retirement Plan Trust, which I used to prepare, uh, was designed to be the beneficiary of someone's retirement plan so that it would provide asset protection for the credit against the creditors of the beneficiary by making sure they're not the direct beneficiary of a retirement plan, but there's a trust in between that's kind of like a castle, builds a wall around the retirement plan so that it can't be directly accessed by a creditor. You can still do that today. Um, Things are going to have to empty out faster than the minimum distributions under the prior law, But uh, even then, the money can still be accumulated in that retirement trust to use for the benefit of the ultimate beneficiary. And then if it's structured properly, passed on to the, the grandchildren, as this person suggests. But the bottom line is that type of planning, which was very useful before January 1 of this year, is now significantly less useful now. And uh, it's uh, a major change in the law that affected that. Okay, so here is a question out of Long Beach, California. It's going to be the last question I take in this segment. Um, My dad passed away in May of this year. In June, my mother received a letter from a collection agency stating that my mom owed money for a house alarm for some months that was not paid, and they wanted interest and a late fee. I have a copy of the contract. My mother's signature is not on the agreement, only my dad's. Does my mother need to pay? Well, the short answer is, if it's an obligation of the father, and he's signed on behalf of the marriage, meaning he and the mother, for a house alarm for their house, then it's a debt of his that has to be satisfied out of his separate property or out of the community property owned by the marriage. So the short answer is likely, yeah, the mother needs to pay that bill for the unpaid house alarm um, fees. You might be able to get them to waive interest in a late fee, uh, but it sounds like it wasn't paid for many, many months if there's many months and he only died in May. That's only a couple months ago. But the short answer is, It probably has to be paid by the mother because it's a debt of the father, and she received everything presumably from him when he died. So the debts do follow receipt of property from people when a person dies. I'll be back after the break for the third segment of the show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, a estate planning, trust, and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments uh, from around the state of California. And here's one out of Los Angeles, and I think I understand what the situation is. And uh, and I'm going to give an answer for it. Here, um, this person said, my ex-spouse... Transfer her home to her revocable trust by way of a signed and notarized statement adding it to her trust on the same day she created the trust sounds like an assignment or something assignment of the property to the trust that was signed by the person she passed away several days later with one of our two children named a successor trustees does this preclude probate for the real estate it's an excellent question Uh, The answer is a uh, a definite yes, no, or maybe. Here's the issue. If you create a trust and you just state in the trust or even just in a separate document that your house is owned by your trust, that is legally sufficient under California law to have that property be part of your trust. However... It's not going to be sufficient for a title company to um, to insure um, the title of that property if the successor trustee tries to sell it because they're going to look and they're going to say the title says it's still in mom's name. It's not in the name of mom's trust with mom as the trustee or you as the trustee. So the practical matter is even though California law Says it's part of the trust, practically, that doesn't mean much if you go to try and sell the house or try to get insurance on it or all kinds of things that flow from that because if it's in the name of someone who's died, nobody has any authority over it until they take over the ownership as the trustee. In a case like this, this would be a classic situation where I would be hired to do what's called a Hegstat Petition. That's Hegstat, H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D for those of you who love looking stuff up on the internet. Uh, you could go to my website, Hegstat Help, dot com. Read all about it. And a Hegstat basically says to the court, it's a petition filed with the court, uh, the probate court, that says, Judge, this property was owned by this person who's now died they had in writing stated that this property was in their trust but they never transferred the title on the record on the in the recorder's office so uh, judge could you please sign an order declaring that this property is actually in this person's trust because they didn't actually transfer the title of record they just made statements in writing that they intended it to be owned by their trust. This happens a lot. It also happens a lot that people put the property into the trust correctly, they transfer the title, but then they go to refinance the property and the lender makes them take it out of the trust to put a new lo- loan on, and then the person neglects to put it back into the trust. I describe that in this way. If a trust is like a toy box, and your toys are the things that you own, like bank accounts, brokerage accounts, real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, jewelry, precious metals, automobiles, all these kinds of things you can own. Those are your toys. And the problem is that if, if you die and some of your toys have been left out of that trust, well, then you have a problem. You have a problem because if the total value of things left out of your trust is greater than $166,250, it's a weird number, I know, but that's in the aggregate, not per asset, total value of everything, not in the trust. Or if you own real estate with a market value greater than um, basically that same dollar amount, um, you're going to have to go to court to to get that those assets put into into your trust after you've died. I do that regularly i'm working on about seven or eight of those petitions right now that 's why I mentioned i 've gotten slammed right now with a real crush of work um Crush of work has come in in the last week it's it's great but it's also kind of exhausting but that 's what a hegstat petition is, and that 's what they would have to do. Um, because mom passed away without actually retitling the property into her trust name. That would also apply to the bank accounts, brokerage accounts, anything else that was not retitled. It's probably, with the real estate, going to have to go through a Hegstat petition and get turned over. That's just the way it works. We're fortunate that we can actually do something like that in California, because not all states have a procedure in the law that permits you to do that. In many other states, you'd be looking at having to do a probate, and that's even assuming there's a will done by this person that directs that all of their probate estate be turned over to their trust. If that doesn't exist, then it's, you know, good thing that she signed something saying she intended to be in her trust, because without any written evidence, that property would pass intestate through probate, meaning no No last will and testament. And that could mean that the property ends up being divided between uh, heirs of the person, their intestate heirs, and they may may not even be the same people that the person wanted to leave the property to. It can be a mess. I guess the upshot of all of this is don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to do estate planning on your own. Don't try to transfer title of your property into a trust on your own. Um, I see many, many mistakes, I've seen many mistakes over my nearly 40 years of practice of law here. And uh, most of the mistakes are made by uh, do-it-yourself planning. Uh, People do their own planning, they download a form from somewhere, Uh, they find a form somewhere, they wipe things out, they scratch and they write stuff on it. Um, There's no formalities in executing documents. Or sometimes they say things, and they literally make no sense at all um the, the In other words, uh what they put in their trust doesn't make sense, and because it doesn't make sense, then we may have to go to court to try and figure out what the person meant. so I guess I'm saying, don't try to do this on your own it's It's so easy to just make a mistake um, make a mistake, and Do something incorrectly that will cause the family to have to go into the court system to get that problem fixed. And that's why I suggest uh, don't try and do this on your own. Now, uh, moving on with a few more questions and comments here. Um, Someone asked, House was left to four siblings as part of a trust. One sibling lives in the house. The house was sold without two of the siblings knowledge let me pause right there the only way that could really be done is if the trustee of the if it was still in the trust and the trustee of the trust just sold the property without letting the other beneficiaries know that they were selling the property now i will tell you right now that is a violation of trustees responsibilities to just sell property of a trust without informing the other beneficiaries, hey, I'm doing this, and especially if one of them's living in the house. This person's saying now the sibling living in the house is being asked to move by some unknown man who says they bought the house. The sibling suspects, suspects signatures were forged and not sure how the house was legally sold. Well, If there were signatures put on a contract and signatures put on a deed, um, and they were forged, that means that the notary public who notarized those signatures, um, if they didn't get proper identification from the people signing, and didn't note down that identification in their journal, and didn't take a right thumbprint for everybody signing so there'd be physical proof if questioned later on, and in fact it was forged, and the notary was in on it, the notary's in trouble, the people who did the forging in trouble, and now it's a conspiracy to forge and transfer real property. So it's felonies all around for everybody. And the least that will happen to the notary is losing the notary license, but we're probably talking about jail time here for everybody involved. But uh, at the very least, the sibling being told to get out may very well have a claim against the sibling or siblings that sold the house without giving any notice to the beneficiaries. Um, That's very uncool. It's also um, a violation of the trust law. And, um, And if the buyer of the property knew this, then that wholesale could be overturned because for someone to buy property like that and not have it overturned, they have to demonstrate that what's called a bona fide or bona fide purchaser, meaning they had no actual knowledge or no reason to suspect that the property shouldn't be sold in that way or that the person selling it didn't really have authority to do that or some other reason. So if this man who bought the property is a close personal friend of the one who sold it, probably not a good faith or bona fide purchaser. While we're coming up at the end of the third segment today, want to let you know you still can call in 800-516-1220 if you would like to ask me a question on the air I'm open to that so uh, please go ahead and call in if you'd like Uh, otherwise I will finish out the show today with some more questions and comments from around the state of California Um, I hope you're enjoying the show today there's a lot of interesting uh, situations that I've come up with here and um, I, I will continue and finish out the show with a few more uh, in the last segment today. So when we come back, this is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my office in San Jose. And I'll finish up the show after the break.
0: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Hi, welcome back. I have a uh, few more things to cover today before we call it a day and head into the weekend. And I wanted to, uh, to let you know that, let's see here. Yeah, okay, there we go. Just take a moment here all right um, so here is a question uh, that someone raised in Los Angeles uh, says my attorney who created my living trust is now copying trusts electronically and will no longer store the physical copy he's mailing the original to me because I could not come to the office if it's lost in the mail, will the electronic copy held in my attorney's office be sufficient? The original was always at his office. Well, the short answer is it's likely that the electronic copies of everything, except with the possible exception of a person's will, in the case of a trust, probably what's called a pour over will, uh, typically the will. You have to have an original if you need to use it and file it uh, with the court and actually probate that will. And in the vast majority of cases, if things are done properly, you don't even need the will. You don't need to use the will. But uh, I have done the administration of a trust estate only using a copy of the trust because the original uh, trust agreement was actually um, stolen. Um, We suspect we knew who stole it. We had no way of proving it, but uh, stolen by a family member. And um, so the electronic copy uh, would be able to be used. And if someone is um, uh, really concerned about it, they could always ask to uh, sign the documents uh, again if they're not received, um, have them executed again, maybe prepared by the attorney and sent out again. I will tell you that it is my practice and has been my practice all along as an attorney not to hold on to the original estate planning documents of my clients. Um, The practical reason for that is, first of all, um, I don't have the sheer space to, to hold the estate planning documents of several hundred people and keep track of them and have to worry about them. And, and worry about being responsible for them. Um, I would might have to put them into storage, and that means if we need them, we have to retrieve them from storage. It gets to be an incredibly difficult logistical and record-keeping hassle to keep everybody's original documents. So I've never done that. I've always given the originals to my clients. In the past, I would make photocopies of them and keep photocopies in my records. And then more recently... When they get signed, I scan them and store them electronically at my office after they're signed. So I have electronic copies, which I can then turn around and provide electronic copies to my clients so they have them stored where they want to have them stored, share them with whomever they wish to share them with. And that way, um, something happens to me, my clients aren't in the situation of how do I get my original estate plan Mr. Bergman had it, and uh, and whoever is taking over from me, presumably my wife, but it could be somebody else, um, they're left with trying to scramble around and figure out uh, where are these original documents for this person right here. It could be an administrative and logistical nightmare. So I don't keep them myself. Um, this person's question, I think the, the answer is yes, they likely would be able to use electronic copies for pretty much every purpose but uh, let's just hope for their sake the originals do show up in the mail because they were mailed out okay here the question is do I open probate in California or Missouri or Missouri if if that if that's your preference says father passed away in Missouri home is um, here and his wife is on the title Am I entitled, as well as my siblings, to my father's share of the home as beneficiaries? Home is PIF. I don't know what PIF is. I'm trying to figure out what that could be. Would I petition for letters of administration in California, where we all reside, or Missouri, where the home is? Well, if the father died in Missouri, and that's where everything is, probate would be handled in Missouri. And I can tell you, it's likely going to go a lot faster than in California, California. California probate can, you know, easily take 9 months to 12 months or more, and in some counties it's taking right now um many many months to even get a probate started like like 6 7 maybe even 8 months just to get a probate started and then you have other things that have to happen after that. So you'd want to do the probate in Missouri. It's going to go a lot faster than trying to do the probate in California. That's for sure. Okay, here, my father's on Medi-Cal. If I use him to help me get a home loan, will the government take my home? Says, I want to buy a house. My dad gets SSI income. I want to use them to help secure the loan. I would not do that. I would not do that because then your father's probably going to go on the title and that can create all kinds of issues with Medi-Cal. So I would absolutely not do that. Well, we're winding up today. I've got maybe about 45 or 40 seconds left to go with the show. I want to thank you all for listening today. I want to let you all know that the show gets rebroadcast on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock. And, uh, and you can always go to kdow.biz, B-I-Z, and search through the podcast for Plan Your State Radio, where you could listen to this show or direct other people to it and listen to previous shows as well going back for more than two years. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'm looking forward to talking with you many more months and years in the future. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend.
0: With estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio.